Welcome to the OTT Red Spotlight podcast. I hope that you are all enjoying the series and I hope that each different perspective from each different guest's life and career is giving you an enriched view of what this OTT Red landscape that we exist on is like. In today's podcast, I interview Jeremiah McMillan, who is an executive producer developing IP for global markets. He produces some of the most compelling content on LinkedIn that I've seen. It's fantastic. It's actually what got my attention about Jeremiah. What I learned in this podcast was just how different the journey of a creative is to this middle ground that we all seem to reach where in our lives and our careers, the monetization of our profession is obviously what matters so that we can pay our mortgages, feed our families, grow our wealth and create the futures that we want for ourselves. Jeremiah in this interview describes the complexion of his life and how he started as a creative and worked his way to a juncture where he realized that actually focusing on developing the ability to monetize and become more commercially astute around his abilities was actually the difference that was going to make the difference. I loved this interview with Jeremiah. He's a fantastic guy. He's a fascinating guy who has had a fascinating life. And uh, I very much liked harboring the relationship that I know will continue for a long time from this starting point of this OTT Red Spotlight podcast. I bring to you Jeremiah McMillan. Hey everybody, welcome to the OTT podcast, Spotlight podcast. Today we're lucky enough to be joined by Jeremy McMillan. Jeremy is an executive producer developing IP for global markets. And I have to say, and I've just shared this with you already, Jeremy, so you know it, you don't have to blush when I tell you this, but when I see your posts go up onto LinkedIn, I always, always know that it's going to be something great. They're so well researched, they're so well curated, and I always think that they are rich in terms of what they actually offer. They're not superficial. They are deep and meaningful. You're somebody that's had an amazing career when it comes to the complexion of different experiences you've got originally as a creator and more recently blossoming into somebody that is intimately interested in the commercial aspects of how to drive value from that experience. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome you to the OTT Spotlight podcast. Jeremy McMillan, welcome to the podcast. Chris, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, look, let's get straight into it. I always yes. love getting into the first question because it's actually not about OTT, but it does set the scene in terms of who we're all about to listen to. So tell us about you. Sure. Who is Jeremy um, McMillan? So uh, so I'm, I'm born in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, um, uh, the French-speaking part of Canada. And I grew up um, in a city on the west, uh, west coast of Canada, Victoria, British Columbia, and um, spent most of my life in British Columbia, Victoria, and Vancouver. Um, you know, like most young people, skateboarding, playing in punk bands. Uh, went, into, uh, went to university originally for media um, uh, in Vancouver. Um, then I uh, worked in um, business for many years, marketing and, you know, dating back, you know, decades now, um, working for food companies and understanding consumer practice goods. And a lot of that uh, understanding experience I got there running national campaigns for food products, 
uh, different different types of food products from tofu to this and uh, you know the honeys and sauces and marinades and um, you know I learned how to take an idea um, you know from a concept and bring it to completion and the, the full cycle of you know building awareness around a brand and um, you know I moved to Toronto uh, and uh, got a degree in international relations political science at University of Toronto um, uh, you know, worked in, uh, uh, my goal for a long time was I wanted to be a diplomat, worked overseas and, um, uh, you know, I, I worked within, you know, the Canadian political system and different government agencies and it was not for me. Um, you know, I was, uh, my, my family being from Montreal and spending a lot of time in Vancouver, uh, and the Asian influences and entrepreneurialism, I was very, I was like too entrepreneurial for, government work basically yeah. and so I, I decided to go to film school at Ryerson uh, in Toronto uh, they just did a rebrand I forget the name of it, I think Toronto Metropolitan University um, excelled in that it was fantastic um, you know and I've been uh, I have never looked back since um, you know I uh, uh, honors and producing uh, you know uh, scripted uh, learned how to write scripts learned everything about the filmmaking process um, uh, after that, I got uh, accepted into a special program for independent uh, television producers uh, in Toronto, Canada, um, and I got accepted of 2,500 people to learn how to make TV. And I, I didn't know anything about TV um, besides watching um, tons of it. And, you know, um, and so uh, um, being in, you know, entrepreneurial in spirit and nature, um, you know, I had to come up with an idea. So came up with something, uh, a, a lifestyle cooking competition show, and that's how I was able to graduate and, you know, uh, and get mentors wow. in the Canadian industry. And there was a lot of people uh, and mentors that really helped me and, uh, you know, shape um, where I wanted to go. And from that, um, you know, uh, uh, developing and uh, my, my treatment for a show I created, which was very similar to MasterChef, but I was, I, uh, but it's not MasterChef. My, my show was very similar. Um, and uh, someone, I guess, created it before I did, but it's, I, you know, I guess it was a development of the time. So I, I did something else called the Mobile Gourmet, which was, um, I, I, I was starting to spend a lot of time in Asia. Um, my, my wife at the time was uh, Korean, so we, we, we would have a home in Seoul, spend a lot of time in Seoul everyone was watching video on their mobile devices, you know, yeah. and uh, there was so much further ahead than where we were in North America. And so I was like, oh, this seems like a really smart idea. Why don't I take segments of this um, this treatment and just shoot it as handheld, um, where the food is the star, um, where you could basically pull it up in that time. It was like Palm Trio and a couple other mobile devices. The, the devices at the time were very limited, but you're in a grocery shop, uh, you're grocery shopping, and, and you know, everyone thinks, you know, to cater to women, they're more interested in recipes, but, but people want recipes. And so we did a whole string of short 30 to 60 second, um, you know, recipes where basically the food shop, tabletop food looks like a commercial and um, it just goes through video showing what the recipes are and built that and, and uh, I won prizes at Nappy and uh, different, uh, you know, uh, best uh, mobile innovative award at uh, Palm's Mobile Film Festival and a whole bunch of other ones. 
And then I started to uh, develop uh, unscripted content, started to come to Los Angeles um, and um, uh, still spending a lot of time in Asia. And so, uh, you know, uh, like everyone starting their career, but as a Canadian where I didn't have like work authorization, I had to go through the visas and yeah, absolutely. Figure, out, figure out how to work and, and develop all sorts of ideas that I thought were saleable. And I was developing ideas that, you know, most people thought it was crazy because the marketplace in the time, like dating back to like 2008, um, just was not there yet. But I was like trying to, you know, um, uh, set where the future was going and say, okay, you know, here's cost effective ways we could work with brand sponsors to, you know, to help, you know, finance portions of it. So it doesn't come out of general production dollars. But the future is people want um, to engage with their stories off the television. Yeah. Um, whether, you know, uh, interactivity, all sorts of different things. If it's, you know, nonfiction, unscripted and scripted, if it's a really good story and you're really engaged by the content, you want to, you know, you want to enjoy that and experience that. And that's really what it's about. So yeah, we sold a whole bunch. Not a lot of them got made. Um, probably the biggest one around that time I got um, was because I actually spoke at a conference in Seoul and the president of Fox TV Studios at the time, this is a long time ago, saw my presentation. He's like, oh man, you know, we, this is exactly where we see the future is. Come in and do a presentation to Fox. And I was like, I was giddy because I, you know, it's hard to get meetings when you don't know anybody. And, you know, luckily um, I got invited to Korea because I was at MIP um, put, trying to put together package deals for, you know, interstitial digital series. And even though I, I didn't really understand distribution, I was just pitching my my plan. And we, we got some deals with uh, Deutsche Telekom, probably pronouncing it wrong, and a bunch of uh, smaller buyers in Europe from uh, attending MIP and um, yeah that, that that really opened up a lot of doors but with Fox I, I got involved with one show they're doing a reboot of and we brought Samsung on as a sponsor um, I had a pretty good relationship with Samsung uh, they saw me in Korea and invited me to speak at some of their smart conferences and um, I approached it the same way you know not, not like I just as a creative executive and a producer is like where the future is going where let, the let, future of storytelling mm-hmm. let, let, let me just hold you there for a second because sure, it what it what really this ott space fascinates me for many reasons but one of them is because as we were speaking about before we hit record on this podcast there's quite a lot of people that originate from a career perspective in creative spaces and then reach oh. this juncture like the one i feel like you're describing now jeremy where all of a sudden it becomes commercial and their line of thinking kind of tips into how do I monetize this? I know monetize is kind of a more recent term, something that we all talk about now, but you know what I'm getting at? Like you're talking about the, the twist and the juncture at which your experience started to evolve into something different and new, you know, from being a creative to being a businessman, an entrepreneur, dealing with Samsung, yeah. dealing with Fox. How did that feel at the time? Because 
for somebody that had come from government work and then and then had and then been brave enough to move on to exploring your more creative inclinations and loving that yeah. doing you know doing what you love yeah. to then realize that you're going to have to also complement that with an entrepreneurial streak a tangibly good one to make money out of it how did that feel at the time can you remember was it intimidating was it a, or did it feel natural was it a natural evolution yeah, well, it's, it's intimidating because I'm still learning, right? You know, and, and um, you know, when you get into anything, you know, um, at, at that time, you know, uh, I was really looking for mentors that were doing what I wanted to do. And I, I, I got lucky, you know, um, uh, a little while later with some mentors um, that had it uh, from, you know, William Morris. And, uh, you know, when I started to get more into formats, um, but uh, when I was, um, you know, thinking about so before i got into formats i was developing original ideas coming up with multi-platform uh segments and angles and how to franchise it and how to build traction revenue um but how to build something outside of the television experience and um some people were really um open to it and but but it came down to it you have to sell the show yeah and if the show don't sell um, you know, uh, at that time, not a lot of people were um, buying original digital series. Um, you know, that changed over time. But, um, you know, uh, with Maker and a whole bunch of, you know, short form video. Um, but, I, but I was always interested in, in long form and linear storytelling. Yeah. And so, so short form is great as kind of a jump off point and entry point to build in a universe uh, story worlds, and that's kind of how I always approached it. And at times, was it a bad idea? I don't know. You know, did I yeah. sell how do as we much know? as I wanted to? No. Um, but uh, you know, that's part of the learning process. You know, um, you know, they always say you don't want to be first, but you want to be a close second. Yeah. Um, and and um, you know, but it, it it takes time to you know to to find those right projects. Yeah. And I, I learned a lot. You know, and I was very lucky, and so you know, I got I, um, I got mentors through that, and really learned the business of television, which was uh, really hard. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so flash forward to getting an opportunity to speak in Korea and um, meeting more people in Korea, and I started to I think I optioned my first format. Um, I don't know, maybe twenty eleven, uh, about eleven years ago, from Korea. It was a show called Star King. Um, and it was uh, super interactive. Um, it was, uh, you know, a variety show where at that time in Korea, the audience could vote on who they liked and who. So basically it was community um, engagement around the television show in real time, which, you know, American Idol and many uh, shows have done that since. But I, you know, there was nothing that was greenlit or in production in the States or North America at that time. So I, I thought that was, was just going to be a huge jumping off point, but it wasn't. You know, we, we, we partnered with AOL and had development and all these people were interested, but we just couldn't get it past the starting line. And um, my lawyer, I was still using a Canadian lawyer and, and, you know, formats were kind of new. Well, not new, but they've been going on for a long time. The Office, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, all yeah. formats from 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 the UK, um, but um, I was uh, able to get introduced to someone who had experience with a lot of those types of shows and understand how to put together a format deal, um, and we collaborated on, um, you know, I would option and he would do all the legal and we would 
co-pitch, but I would basically develop the shows. <clears throat> so um, I'm, I'm a non-writing producer, even though I, you know, I, I went to film school and wrote a lot and, you know, as most people, but, you know, um, writing and then trying to be a producer and working towards being a producer, getting things on, you, you start just writing pitches and maybe treatments and try to push these ideas forward. I didn't get to write as much as I wanted to, um, just, just pitches basically and really flush out story from, you know, a, a foreign market, bring it to the States, write the one pagers, mini treatments to, to really sell. And we, we sold a bunch of shows, but not a lot of them went to network. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we worked with three arts, uh, three arts, uh, a whole bunch of huge producers on shows originating out of Korea and, you know, uh, you know, set up pilots at NBC and just all over the place. But for one reason or another, you know, we wouldn't, we didn't get the, you know, the full green light to, to go to series. So, but it was, it was a really interesting learning experience. And, you know, through that learning experience, I, um, I would get more opportunities in technology. And so, you know, um, because I was working a lot with uh, foreign partners, um, colleagues of mine from Disney and other companies would reach out and say, hey, would you be able to, um, I don't know if I'd call it a problem solver or a fixer, could you yeah. get involved with some of these projects in, in different territories to kind of help shepherd the, 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 the creative segments on some of these technology projects that, you know, LG and KT, Korea Telecom and um, SK Telecom and all of these companies were involved and just make sure, you know, from a creative perspective that they they made sense. And so worked on a lot of the stuff and I love that stuff, man. Yeah. And, um, and um, you know, and then just do, doing that, still developing shows, selling shows, uh, you know, uh, advising and consulting sometimes on foreign production companies, uh, foreign development slates. So, um, you know, over time, that's kind of where, you know, things went and getting into originals again, which is a back in and to, um, you know, but, um, yeah, it's a so, long winded. So look, when there's so much, so many questions that I could ask you, we might need to do a part sure. two, Jeremy, but the, uh, you know, I'll start with this, you know, you're, you're at the, you're an executive producer at the moment. Give us a two minute feeling for what that includes. We're all really familiar with the term producer, but hearing you talk and the spectrum of different domains of expertise that you've got from very technical, even the vocabulary that you use, you can tell it's an industry vocabulary. You're talking about formats or short form and all. Now, for, for somebody that might be sitting there at the junior stages of their career in the OTT space, fascinated by someone like you that's got this massive global experience what's the two minutes on what what does a producer do <laughs> um uh you know I, I think the easiest way you know a producer is a shepherd and so um you know yeah um you know uh producers could be involved from the financial aspect um but it's basically shepherding a project um you know tv and film is very different um, you know, an executive producer on a TV show could be the creator of the show, the showrunner, um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, someone who basically helps get the show made because of their experience on the TV side. So, um, you know, my deals 
and early on, I was not an executive producer. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, the deals that I was getting, even though I was developing these shows, were always as a producer, um, you know, with limited back end. And so over time, when I got better relationships and I, you know, got my sea legs and I was able to learn a lot more, uh, you know, from, you know, optioning books out of, you know, different foreign countries, developing, raising money to hire writers, um, you know, pitching to all of the big players from Amazon to Netflix and HBO, etc. You know, I, I pivoted to an executive producer role, which was more overseeing the whole process of this, um, uh, you know, um, uh, as a non-writing executive producer, um, uh, uh, passive and active, depending on how much my involvement was with the show. Sure. But the, the very easy thing is, you know, um, if a producer, um, you know, day-to-day on-set executive producer, sometimes a little more uh, not day-to-day, but overseeing the creation and making sure the shows were made, um, you know, and guiding the creative process, uh, working with, you know, the writers um, to make sure and having a really big, uh, you know, a, a big picture of where uh, the is. vision for a show or yeah. IP or, uh, you know, a franchise, possible franchise for a show could go. Yeah. Um, so okay. so um, many executive producers have many different roles um, and, you know, but it's basically guiding uh, as best you can a show from, you know, from from an idea to a package uh, with, you know, a director, uh, uh, you know, a showrunner, um, you know, and working with all of the prospective buyers uh, to make sure it gets, you know, bought and made. Yeah. Selling a show is hard enough, um, you know, getting the show made is equally hard. Yeah. So. All right. Okay. So the take I've got is basically like being the managing director of, a, of an assignment, a show. You've got you to be accountable basically. for everything. The buck stops here. Yeah, yeah, uh, EVP, SVP. Yeah. You know, uh, you're 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 managing budgets. You know, um, you know, in you know, uh, you know, eight figures in excess. Um, you know, depending on how big the series is, how many episodes. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know just overseeing, but but it all starts with an idea, yeah. taking a pitch, identifying uh, a, you know a magazine article, a video game IP, something that you think it really has a you know a big story world connected to it that you think could actually uh, be sold and appreciated in, in terms of the level of. Um, you know, uh, where a story can go. And that's, it's, it's, you know, and, and there's no secret sauce to it. It's just, you know, it's timing, yeah. timing and, and, and shows that get sold. Um, you know, the, the most amazing thing right now and, and to, to pivot back to the OTT space is that, you know, with the power of Netflix, who's been working for years and years and years, developing the international, knowing that, you know, uh, you know, American content, both, you know, uh, you know, product from other studios as well as originals is, is you know, um, you know, the world became smaller with, you know, Netflix. And yeah. now after COVID, every single, everyone else is biting at Netflix's, you know, to, to do what they're doing. Um, and, and, you know, they are the, you know, the they have a first mover's advantage um, in, in terms of shaping the strategy of where things are going. And it's been amazing, you know, well, to see what they've done. But... What just one one yeah, final yeah. caveat on that? <clears throat> the they did something that so without Netflix, there probably would, wouldn't have been a Squid Game. Uh, the reason being 
their strategy was there was let's take pitches on everything that the the Korean networks passed on, and that's the strategy. Wow! Man. Because is that so, where it came from? Squid <clears throat> Games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the um, it's, it's funny. The executive in Korea is the same name as my ex wife, but um, two different people. But um, uh, she, <laughs> would, but that was the part of strategy. You can read about it, and it's it's pretty. But they. Let's take a look at everything that you know the major Korean networks were picking up, and you know CJ ENM in Korea, just amazing. You know Parasite, the studio behind Parasite. Yeah. But on the television side, um, you know a lot of it was um, very uh, specific, and they followed very uh, 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 safe templates in terms of you know development through the production, and Netflix kind of you know you know. Just basically put that on, you know, just sh- shaking it up and say, you know, let's look at everything that they're not buying, and that's where Squid Game came from. Wow! And you know, the creator of Squid Game pitched it to every single buyer, and it was passed on until Netflix. And it's such wow. a smart strategy because in every country around the world, the commissioners are not buying something that could be the next Squid Game. Yeah. And it's like, and, and it's such an entrepreneurial initiative, yeah. you know, like. Netflix is still, it's a tech company, man. And they changed the way because they took risks a lot of other people wouldn't. And so that is probably one of the, the smartest strategies that anyone around the world can can implore and implement is like, be open-minded. You know, you don't know where that next piece of IP is going to come. And most likely it's going to be something that someone's been sitting on for many years, yeah. super well-developed, but no one took a risk on it. And so it's about taking risks. It's about being entrepreneurial and um, so uh, I think that is, I, I think that's really, but you know, for every Squid Game, there's a thousand other yeah, shows that just suck. You just so, spoke yeah. about, you know, you spoke a moment about let's pivot back to OTT. Let's do that. Let's use this as a segue back into talking about the wider sectorial mm-hmm. sector context. Yeah. This. You, you know, you've got some firsthand experience of uh, Netflix, uh, I think. Are we allowed to talk about that? Uh, sorry, one more time, Chris. Are we allowed to talk about your, you know, the what happened with COVID and Netflix and the show that? you that, that, Sure, man. Yeah, yeah, we 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 sold them a show a few years ago. We worked on them for a long time, and you know, when 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 COVID hit, the the show just didn't survive. You know, there was a large production. Um, you know, uh, things just didn't move forward, and it happens, man. But that happens. Yeah. You sell a show, you work on it for years, and you don't get a production green light. And it, it is what it is. And, yeah. You know, what, was it COVID? Was it a whole bunch of other things? We don't know. But but COVID happened at that time. And, you know, um, we Ooh, couldn't shoot the show for, you know, for a long period of time. But um, but it was, it was you know, the, the show that we sold to them and worked on really hard for was, um, you know, embracing, you know, a franchise play, something that could be, you know, um, embracing also what Marvel did with cinematic universes. Having a story, um, you know, a deep story that can that can basically go into, you know, uh, that has a lot of different story yeah, angles, extensions, and so you know, so um, w- when it got killed, and you know, um, but always looking for new things like that, where okay, we could do, we could set it in one country, then have you know, kind of, it's kind of a Mission Impossible world and these you know secret societies. There's a branch in Germany. There's a branch in London. You know, there's so much to do. Is and you know, and Netflix is doing it right now with Money Heist. They do the Korean version, yeah, and the game. And so, 
that you know if, if you find a really good piece of IP um, why why let it sit you know stagnant on a shelf um, exploit it and um, it's you know because there's such an audience out there for so much content and you know um, uh, you know we could talk a little bit about that that cinematic you know, universe we're, we're, content we, yeah and, and, and release that. windows and release windows and you know uh, day and day drops of full seasons versus you know uh, fragmented release windows you know two episodes you know two two episode drop on the first week and then you know weekly after that you know it, it's it, there, there's I think a lot of models work yeah. Um, you know, but but for OTT, clearly, if you look at the numbers with with the uh, latest edition of Stranger Things uh, season four, yeah. part one, like monster numbers, man. And then Ozark, they just released today, monster numbers. And, and you know, um, so you binge you know, your favorite show dropping the, the fourth, fifth or sixth season and then it's done. And then there's all sorts of other content to look at. Um, and then, you know, HBO is doing, you know, um, uh, you know, a multi-week uh, release window. I, you know, I, I, I think with every piece of content, it's different. In, in some works, it works on Netflix. Will they start to, will they change that in the future if it's a huge, uh, expensive, um, you know, uh, uh, production um, to squeeze out more eyeballs? I, I don't know, but I think, you know, um, they changed the game, and I think everyone was trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And then, you know, HBO with a lot of, you know, HBO Max and Apple with Ted Lasso, you know. Uh, you know, I actually like what I've seen and read about, because I'm not in Europe, what Sky is, is do, uh, has done and some of the other um, platforms out there on their OTT is basically doing, you know, uh, you know, uh, two episodes a week. Yeah. Um, so if it's 10 episodes, five weeks, get as much value out of the momentum the piece of IP as possible. Yeah, man. Or even, you know, drop three, the first, you, you know, the final week, only one, um, you know, uh, but you know, they did that with a show it was one of my favorite shows. Um, and they released on HBO max, uh, Gamora. Yeah. And, um, and I read about it, but they, and it's just the numbers, man. And also what they did was, you know, go to the theater experience. And I think as theaters for a long time, because of COVID, not you know i think netflix and i think a lot of other companies can look at that is if there's a really big show like stranger things i would have loved to go see the first two episodes uh, the that would have been awesome. and, and pay and, and and pay for it and so you know doing that you know people love the theater experience and so with really big shows i think um you know partnering with a theater if you're netflix buying a theater or apple buying a theater um, you know, people will, you know, and you can, you know, get more revenue out of it. But a lot of people, and again, with Gamora and what they did in Italy, you know, the first two episodes people could see in the theater and it just, the numbers were great, you know, sold out all across Italy. So wh why, why can't we do those models more in, in yeah. North America? I love that. Um, and then it's, yeah, so... So let, look, let, let, me, let me ask you what you think about this. There's a lot going on. I, sure. think, I think the, the horizon of competition is an extremely crowded one, increasingly crowded. Mm. There are mm -hmm. a number of good providers in each different dimension of domain expertise from security okay. to increasingly ad tech, OTT platforms, you know, the creative space. There's a lot of good people coming into this space yeah. now. 
And what I'm finding is interesting is number one, the way that the pockets of and the whole thing is kind of beginning to converge. A lot of M&A activity from a business perspective and, and, and more convergence, different companies widening their portfolio. And, and on the other side, different companies making a more precise portfolio and getting inch wide, mile deep type subject matter expertise. You know, what do you make of uh, uh, things like Netflix potentially getting into Formula One, you know, and doing a 4K feed of the Formula One live sports. They're getting into the space. You you know, Chris, that's such a great segue, man, because of the news about uh, the Indian Cricket League. Yeah. And and, and, um, uh, Disney losing it and Paramount uh, outbidding them. Um, Sports is huge, man. man. You know, and and, and sports is huge. Uh, You know, Apple... um, there's so much news daily yeah. because everyone is trying to lock down a segment of a population that has a very large built-in audience. Well, if you look and at that's what you it know, is, this, and, this, that's, and that's what sports is doing. Yeah, and so yeah. sports is where it's at. You know, if you look recently, I think this week, maybe last week, but I think it was this. Uh, DAZN announcing that they've got the rights for the next Anthony Joshua fight. I mean, you know, it used to be exclusively the space of uh, linear broadcasters like Sky that would claim, you know, the pay-per-view to this sort of stuff. Now you've got DAZN, Delta Tray, uh, Endeavour Streaming, you know, coming up with some really super cool propositions when it comes to not only how you deliver the content, you know, the nucleus of that content, but actually something you were talking to me about before we started recording around the extended yeah. merchandising opportunities, how you recycle value from the content that used to be the entirety of the offering. Now, that's just the nucleus of it. It's all the offshoot stuff that, that I like. You know, that's where it starts to get really creative. Yeah, well, well it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. You know, in, in, in some business... Um, uh, uh, you know, circles people will use, and, and there's a there's a great business strategist on LinkedIn, uh, Evan Shapiro, and, and I think he was the first person I heard him say this. He talked about the flywheel, about Amazon. You know, they are you know they have they spend a whole ton of money for Lord of the Rings, um, but but people going to Lord of the Rings, um, you know, it, not sure they'll make that shoppable content, and that's a whole nother conversation. But, you know, they're selling toilet paper and shaving gear and, you know, water and all these other things. And Apple is selling devices. And, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the AirPods alone is one of the biggest selling segments ever of anything, Um, you know, bigger than just some, you know, some businesses, just the AirPod as a segment. Um, So looking at, you know, having being able to sell more than just a subscription or just the content, Mm. Um, you know, uh, people need to be entrepreneurial in in terms of identifying that. And and Netflix has bought some game studios, which is extremely smart. So they can, you know, they own the game studios that are, you know, caliber, high caliber in terms of producing, you know, uh, you know, games for mobile devices and console games it's it's super smart but then what else uh can they own but but back to the sports you know (laughs) we'll we'll see how this goes but you know um star which had the rights to uh the the cricket matches was uh what is it 40 percent of 
Disney's whole subscriber base is based on people watching Star and solely for cricket. Wow. Like, holy shit, man. You know, I, I, I could be wrong on the numbers, but it's, it's a large yeah, chunk. Yeah. Um, and so, so people bidding billions of dollars for appointment viewing content, bringing us back to the traditional cable model, which is really what it is. Mm. And then the whole technology side of, you know, um, Netflix being able to handle a live stream where maybe 50 million people watch around the world or it's, it's blacked out in some markets. You know, I, I think that this is such an interesting question and I, I'm, I don't know the answer to, but I, I, you know, it comes to, you know, it's more than selling subscriptions, now, yeah. you know, um, you know, and, and people have to get really creative on how they build out, um, you know, the value proposition for, you know, Squid Game, you know, like Squid Game is, a, is another great thing because they can have Squid Game restaurants. There's so much they could do because it's such a really interesting you know, uh, brand, you yeah. know, Squid Game laser tags, Squid Game, you know, just there's there's so much there and, and there's so many brilliant people in Netflix mm-hmm. to kind of think about, you know, and partner with marketing firms that can offset some of the costs to develop it. There's there's so much there when you have a really and and you know, Ted Lasso, you know, they're doing bread, I think, in London and some of these other places. Uh, so um, you know, so it's really interesting to um, you know, to think about you know how you can get more value out of a piece of content in, in IP. Yeah. So. Well, Jeremy, look, I, we've yeah. already spoken about the invitation I've extended to you to join the uh, yeah. you know the yeah, live debate. We're going to do that at the beginning of July with Jean Francois from Cinemedia and Mark from Conviva as well. You're going to be absolutely fantastic on that panel. Oh, I, can't, it, yeah. I can't wait to represent this more creative side of what is essentially a creative industry. I mean, uh, you know, it, the tech enables the creative side. So, you know, without the creative, the tech's redundant. But look, I've got two more questions for you, really, and then we'll yes. wrap it up. I can hear Chris. alarms going yeah. up in the background mm-hmm. there. But the, 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 the first of my last two questions is, what are you looking forward to in this space that we operate in over the next couple of years? What do you think is going to be really exciting that other people should watch out for? Um, man. There's a lot, huh? Yeah, man. It, it, it is, um, things are, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, uh, you know, there's so much discussion around, you know, Web3 and what is yeah. that going to do. But I, I've, I've seen some really cool, you know, um, uh, you know, a friend of mine who's who's a big, uh, um, you know, storyteller. Um, I saw he was working at Bernie Sue doing some stuff with uh, a, a Web3 company in the metaverse yeah. and creating these big story worlds. I think that is something really super interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm not completely sold that we're, we're going to you know, uh, do everything in the metaverse and buy all these virtual products. But I think it has, um, uh, I think it definitely has a value proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and what is the exact value proposition to that? I'm not sure. Uh, the other thing is really, you know, the flywheel approach, which Apple and Amazon is doing <clears throat> with their streaming platforms and selling more than just um, a subscription. And I think it really has to be that. There has to be more than just, you know, a subscription to you know millions of hours of content um and so that's where the sports i think comes in mm. um you know the exclusivity to one platform you know fifa 
you know, things that there's 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 a monster huge built-in audience on the merchandising side in terms of the broadcast side and so you know locking up those rights and we're going to see a lot more of that i think around the world from cricket in india to you know uh, uh i don't want to i don't want to butcher it in, in terms of you know uh, uh the, the european football leagues but i i think exclusivity is really going to come down to it and um but every content owner wants non-exclusivity you know to be able to sell to as many places as possible but from the apples the netflixes the hbo maxes and paramount with a very machiavellian move or you know outbidding for um you know cricket um you know uh super smart man you know <laughs> but, but it's it's it, but, 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 but you're, you're yeah, no, you know, kudos to that team yeah. that just came in. And even though they might be paying a little more and Disney didn't want to go that high, listen, man, it's it's the streaming and OTT is all about international. Mm. Domestic and for a lot of these places, it's um, there, there's not much more they can go. They can't build out much more in terms of building out other ways to monetize on revenue streams, shoppable content, yeah. interesting things like that, metaverse. But subscribers and and build an audience it's it's all international that's why paramount did what they were you know and by cbs viacom did what they did paramount global it's just it's it's such smart sense to to lock in as much as you can um, exclusive to your platform it's funny you know jay because if you'd have asked me the same question what are you looking forward to in the next few years i'd have said exactly the two things you said you know metaverse and the how this uh, 3.0 stuff unfolds i don't know if you know him or if you follow him but there's a great friend of the ott red um network called carlo de marcus he's the uh, chief evangelist for delta trade he was employee number four uh, he is just awesome when it comes to talking about this stuff and he did a closed group session for ott red last week about metaverse and it was mind-blowing the stuff that he was talking about was just mind-blowing it was awesome and then sports as well you know sports I, th- I think people interact with sport, it, it, it arrests them at an emotional level, you know, it becomes part of the fabric of who they are. You know, I'm, a, I'm a Formula One fanatic, so anywhere, anywhere where Formula One's going to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there, I'm going to look, you know, that's, 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 that's what it's all about well, for me. Yeah, no, man, and, and, it's, and it's such smart business, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm surprised a lot of these deals weren't done six months ago, me to tell you the truth. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you, you are buying, you know, uh, brands that have been around for a very long time with a very huge built-in audience yeah. um you know and uh they will go you know and if they already have a next netflix subscription or a paramount your or a paramount plus subscription or if they don't they're going to get it now yeah. you know and um uh and, and it makes uh, it makes really really solid business yeah. sense um, but yeah no i i, I think I, I, no one really knows man i i, I think you know just trying to yeah, who knows? That's look, part of the excitement. Look, look, look globally and, and see, you know, um, you know, what's working and what's not working, man. But but you know, content, um, you know, content is, uh, you know, my side of the business. Um, I think it's 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 you know, there there's going to be so much because every there's so many so many buyer more buyers, man, yeah. and so um, and. Uh, and all these buyers need content. So, look, so um, mm-hmm. here's my final question for you, buddy. And although this yeah, is the OTT yeah. Spotlight podcast, 
and it's sure. about OTT. Actually, what I really enjoy is getting to know the amazing people that we have on the Spotlight Podcast. So I love asking yeah. the first question, who are you? And I love asking this question. In two minutes, yeah. Jeremy, what advice would you give to the younger you? Oh, wow, man. Uh, great question. Um, the younger me. Well, you know, the younger me, when I when I started in entertainment, you know, I was really entrepreneurial. I think, um, you know, following those entrepreneurial initiatives, um, you know, really um, the younger me, I try to find and, and really work hard to see someone out there that is older than you um, and, um reach out to them, you know, try, try to build a relationship and just um, not pick someone's brain, just be, uh, you know, offer help. Mentorship, I think, is so important to the younger generation. I mentor a whole bunch of young producers uh, and female producers. And, you know, uh, I, I think it's, you know, representation and storytelling is so important. My son is half Asian, um, Korean, actually, so hence I spent a lot of time in Korea. Mm. Um, but I think it's so important, you know, and, um, uh, you know, and um, the younger me just reach out to people and, 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 and uh, not that I wasn't, but, you know, find really good mentors to really help shape uh, the entrepreneurial spirit that younger me had uh, into sometimes more sustainable, tangible businesses. And sometimes that was hard. And, you know, it was a... It was a a lot of learning curves and um, and uh, was not easy. So uh, that's the advice I would give younger me. Jeremy, you know, I generically across all of this series, I feel like I'm in a gifted position in life to speak to people <laughs> like you and to mm -hmm. learn so much. And I want to wrap this up by saying thank you, first of all, at a yeah. very sincere and personal level. And, and I want you to know that I feel as though I've learned something a lot, actually, from our conversation. You are oh, you're wow. an amazing guy. You've got so much to offer. I'm really looking forward to interacting a hell of a lot more on lots of different projects that we've spoken yeah. about in and around the OTT space. And Jeremy McMillan, thank you so much for being a <clears throat> featured guest on the OTT Spotlight podcast. Uh, Chris, wow, man. Had such a great time. Uh, love your energy. Love your enthusiasm. I wish more people would, would do what you're doing. Um, you know, uh, you know uh, bringing people together from around the globe, you know, that are interested in storytelling and technology. And, um, you know, thanks to you. Thanks, buddy. Take care. There it was, another one of our Spotlight podcasts, Jeremiah bringing an enriched perspective as opposed to the kind of difference that we have seen from other people who are generally coming from a more commercial a point of origin. Jeremiah definitely brings to light what it's like to be in this OTT red spectrum of talent when it comes to being a creative individual. If you know someone that you would love to hear an interview with, then please let me know about them. Next week's interview, or the week after that, should I say, the interview is with Andrew Cross, the chief executive of Grass Valley. And then the one after that is with Lydia Fairfax, formerly the SVP of Commercial Partnerships at Discovery, obviously now Discovery Warner Brothers. And we've got a whole host of other high-flying individuals that have affected the industry that we operate in coming up in the OTT Red Spotlight podcast after that. I hope that you're enjoying this series and don't forget to tune in in two weeks for Andrew Cross of Gross Valley. <laughs>